All right, welcome back to another episode of Whole Lot of Mid, the number one football podcast on the planet, voted by absolutely no one. Today we're back. I mean, it's been a long time uh, since me and Ritwick got on the mic, spat some facts, waffled, but yeah, we're back. Ritwick, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, bro. It's good to be back. Yeah, I haven't done this for a while. Looking forward to chatting about some some of last week's games and looking forward to some games tomorrow and in the future. Absolutely. Uh, let's get started off with a, a competition that my club actually does not partake in, but as an avid football fan, I have to talk about it by, uh, by contract, the UEFA Champions League. A lot of great games the last two weeks, honestly. Um, yeah. I almost forgot how great of a competition it is, but... I mean, once you watch the Europa, right? Once you watch the Europa, you realize, you know, <laughs> how great that is. But the Champions League ain't too bad. No, no, no. I mean, there were some big games. We're not going to cover all of them. Like, for example, Valencia and Atalanta. I can promise you I didn't watch a single minute of that game. But I think a good place to start is um, Atletico Madrid versus Liverpool. And that was a game that I think most people actually expected Liverpool to really cruise through because Liverpool mm-hmm. are in sensational form. I, they, I remember the last time they lost. I think it was in Napoli in the group stage. And Atletico is a team that this year has had a lot of issues attacking and scoring goals. So I think a lot of people, myself included, believe that Liverpool would be the overwhelming favorite. But alas, Atletico, uh, they scored very early on through Saul and they held on for a really good win at home. Uh, what did you think about the game in general? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was surprising to the extent that Liverpool looked very blunt going forward. Um, but this is something I've been like, like at, at one, one hand, I was surprised by what I saw in how... Atleti were able to stifle Liverpool. Like, if this was a game three years ago, if this was an Atleti team from three or four years ago, I wouldn't have been surprised at all. You know, like Absolutely. that, like vile deep block that Simeone can conjure up at home. It's one of the yeah. worst things you can face. But at the same time, I wasn't also really surprised because I've been saying it for this entire year. I might be like a little bit, bit of a, in the minority here, but away from home, um, there was that game against last year where they were lights out. But all the other games, like. They were Aston Villa where they came behind and won. Uh, right now, they're playing Watford, and they seem extremely blunt. Um, just last so, year, you know, they, West Ham, they, they almost lost, actually. Yeah, so, like, just them away from home has just been sort of a... It's been... I, I feel like it hasn't been talked enough. Like, obviously, they're having a great season, but um, I, I want, like, Athletic... Like, they didn't... I still feel like they didn't do enough to win this tie. I'm still in that kind of mindset that Morata had two good chances that he fluffed. Anyway, even if he buries one of them, you know, going 2-0 into Anfield is a lot better than going 1-0. And I do expect, I do expect Liverpool to score. Um, so it's just up to if Athletic can do it. Like, I do not think Athletic can keep a clean sheet um, at Anfield. Well, let's look at what Atletico did in the first place to stifle yeah. Liverpool. Because I think, I definitely agree with you. I think, like, Liverpool haven't been like this amazing side this year. Like, I, I mean, okay, obviously they've been amazing, but I think it, it has been a little overstated just how unstoppable they are. They have been, they have shown that they can be slowed down at least, and that is what we saw from yeah. Atletico. But I think the most startling thing is just how poor the fullbacks were against Liverpool. I mean, what no, no matter what you want to say about the midfield or the Salah being inconsistent, I think the fullbacks have have definitely shown that they've brought it every single game. But this one, I mean, Trent had one of his worst performances of the season. Like, he couldn't cross a ball. Mane subbed off at halftime because he was so frustrated. They, they were fearing he could get a red card. Salah hooked off after 65 minutes. I mean, Atletico Madrid completely frustrated them. Yeah, I mean, just that, like, 4 for 2 that he employs. And it's, it's like a complete team effort, right? So from the beginning, you could see the forwards pressing their center backs, you know, yep. forcing them to go wide. And then once they went wide to their fullbacks, their fullbacks didn't really have an option to kind of play in the middle. So they were forced to play long. And that's Atletico's bread and butter right there, right? where you have yeah. their big physical center backs and their midfielders tucking in and making it hard. And Liverpool, you know, they're one of the best teams to win that second ball. And Atleti were everywhere that game. And yeah. you know, as Liverpool kind of transitioned and tried to, you know, adapt to the game where, you know, Fabinho would start to drop deep, become a third, and start creating overloads in the back, it was still hard for them to find any pockets in the middle just because how, you know, they were kind of shifting left right in such a unit. And I think, like, man of the match performances have to go out too. I think, like, two or three players really stood out to me. I think Saul and Partey, like, yeah. absolutely held it down in the middle, not only defensively, but the way they progressed the ball, and, you know, even when they had the ball for as little as they did towards the end, I think they were fantastic. And I think their left back, uh, Renan Lodi, Lodi. Oh, my man, goodness. Like, Sensational performance. 
I think like we all saw him play that de- in his debut against Madrid in the you know, preseason. Obviously, it's preseason. Yep. You're not you're not gonna come to any starting conclusions, but like that man went hard. Like, like I mean, he completely stopped Mohamed Salah. I mean, again, I'm one of his. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying that like this man just had another great game against one of the best teams in the world. So I think like he definitely needs to get a lot more points than he's getting this year. I agree. Um. So, yeah, I'm definitely with you. I, I think this is a great result for Atletico. But Anfield, uh, man, I mean, we, we've seen it, like, throughout the years. It has this effect on teams. It has this effect on Liverpool themselves. Like, you have to go into to Anfield with at least, like, a two- or three-goal lead to completely make sure. And even, like, Barcelona, they showed last year that wasn't enough, albeit due to some yeah. mistakes on their own. But Anfield is such a, a powerful atmosphere that... It's an advantage in its own. So I definitely agree. I don't I don't think 1-0 is enough for Atletico. I think it also depends how early Liverpool grabbed that goal. I think after 25, 30 minutes, like if you still haven't seen Liverpool get that goal and get the crowd on their side and get the place bumping, like it could be a long night for them. Yeah. And I mean Atleti do have to coming back. So that'll definitely help out their attack to an extent. But yeah, I think Liverpool, like they're kind of a scared, they're kind of in like a weird state right now, you know. Yeah, West Ham yeah. game last week, Watford this week, Atleti, you know, they're kind of showing signs of slowing down. And I really remember this as um, that Barca team after they won the treble in 2015-2016. Um, yep. right, right after the March international break that year, I went to Barcelona that weekend. They played the Clasico against Madrid, looked super flat, weren't really ready, lose that game. Um, they get lucky. I went to the Atleti Madrid. I went to the Atletico quarterfinal, and they were lucky to win that game. In all honesty, and then they crash out the next week, and then they lose in the in La Liga, and then all of a sudden, a title race that was pretty much decided in January becomes alive again. So we're gonna have to see, you know, how this team holds up because I don't know, all the like all the things I was saying in the summer, are, I think, are starting to come to fruition that this team is gonna start. Definitely. And I mean, um, the league, of course, is already wrapped up. Like, there's nothing anyone can do. Liverpool could lose the next five games. They're still going to be champions. But I think this could, like, like, like you said, though, I mean, like, if Liverpool doesn't win the Champions League this year and say the FA Cup, anything can happen, there can obviously be a, a lucky knockout from, like, say they draw City and they lose there. That turns an amazing season that people were talking about. Is it the best Premier League season of all time? Just like that, it becomes just another season. Like, okay, yeah. they won one league title and maybe went undefeated. Like, Arsenal's already done that. Teams have won trebles and stuff. Like, it, just like that, the league becomes an average season. Yeah. So, uh, so that was one game. And then what was the other game that week? Uh, we had... That same, it was PSG versus uh, Borussia yes. Dortmund. Yes. Uh, and game, that was... Had a tight eye on. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. That was a game I think a lot of people were like... Yeah, you know, high scoring affair, just given and and credit to Dortmund, they played well, but I was very disappointed how PSG played. Um, and I think I was mainly disappointed with how Tuchel set them up. Um, yeah, just kind of how like uh, without playing a striker, I think it really like and playing Mbappe there that like very limits that limits him greatly. And like you could see that you know Neymar was kind of out of rhythm. They had kept him out for strategic reasons for him not to get injured. But like you could see, like he wasn't really in rhythm. But like he was trying to pull things off, and who knows? In the return leg, maybe it comes off. But like I don't know, the PSG team, like, it, and all of a sudden they go like they could lose two one, and all the wheels start coming off. You know, Verratti is out for the next game. Thiago Silva is missing. Di Maria is missing. Most likely is going to be out. He actually just got injured today. So I don't know. This team, like, this is going to be a huge mental test for them because otherwise, it's just another awful season for them. It's a little frustrating too, isn't it? Because I think we all, first of all, as United fans, we don't want to see Liverpool win the Champions League. So we are keeping a close eye on who can be their biggest challenger. And I think a lot of people believe that PSG has the talent to to beat a team such as Liverpool. So it is a little frustrating when you see year after year after year, almost not even through their own like technical error, it's more mental mental error. They they find a way of shooting themselves in the foot. And Yo, I don't want to take away... Scored. <laughs> oh, Watford are 1-0 up. Yeah, let's go. Scored. Who scored? Uh, Sar. Oh, let's go. Um, I'm sure Liverpool won two one anyways. But as exactly. I was saying, I don't want to take anything away from Borussia Dortmund. A fantastic performance from front to back, and I think obviously the plaudits are going to go to the main man right now, Erling Haaland. 
the the, the man that seemed destined to play for our club in uh, in January, but he mm-hmm. decided to go to Dortmund. He's lit the the Europe on fire since he went there. But Dortmund in general, Sancho played an okay game. I thought Witzel and uh, Brent played very good games. Uh, they I, I would say they they'd probably feel pretty uh undone un, unlucky that they didn't uh, go into the next like more than two one up. But uh, yeah, like yeah. you were saying, PSG felt very flat. I I felt like it was a lot of just Neymar getting the ball and. There was no really buildup. It was just Neymar kind of playing that long ball over the top to try and find Mbappe. Right. Uh, I think they were lucky in general to even get one goal out of it. I think the goal came from just having two world-class players at the top of their games combining and finding a goal. But I think Dortmund were, were much the better team. And again, they'll, they'll feel hard done by not to go into this next leg more than 2-1 up. I mean, even the goal, I think, I wouldn't even chalk it down to having Neymar and Mbappe. Like, the center back just slipped. Yeah, and Mbappe had just a free run down the yeah, just had a free run down the touchline, and he was Neymar was just there for it to happen. So like, I wouldn't even say it required any like otherworldly like ability to get that goal, but you know, it's still a big goal, two one down. Like, you know, PSG, I would still think they feel like they're in a good spot, but given all like tumultuous results, but I think I think Neymar and Mbappe will get it done next. Like, I don't think this is the this is the tie that they go out in. Well, I as think long it has- as as long as he plays a striker, I think he has to play Cardi or Cavani, whoever it is. He has to play one of them. I think, I think for the sake of PSG's footballing project and their footballing future, they have they have to get past Borussia Dortmund. I think I was I was someone in the in the summer that was saying, if I'm a top player like Neymar or Mbappe, like I think it's like you you it doesn't happen every day that you get to play with such great players like the other. So I was one who was saying, okay, if you lose to a Liverpool in the knockout rounds or a big big team like that, I don't think it. It, it sends those two away. I think like they'll they'll come back stronger than next year. But if you lose in the first round again to Borussia Dortmund of all teams, I think that's a, a result that first of all you already see the fans and the, the player relationship starting to, to tear apart even more than it already was. But I think that's a result that a lot of people start to look at and think, hey man, we're not getting any progress. Like this this footballing project that we were promised a few years ago, like it's not coming to fruition and. Players like Neymar and Mbappe can play for any club in the world. So the, the high wages they make at PSG, they'll get anywhere else. So I think for their own sake, PSG needs to win this and at least earn themselves a chance at keeping the likes of Neymar and Mbappe. Yeah, agreed. Um, another big game happened last week. Uh, Chelsea, right? Chelsea, Chelsea Bayern. Bayern. Yeah. yeah um, huge game. Honestly, like wasn't really expecting anything on Chelsea's end, but I was thoroughly impressed with how Bayern played. Um, I want to. I thought they had. I actually, I, I know a lot of Chelsea fans. Uh, maybe, maybe some of them are trolls. Shout out Mookie, but uh, I think a lot of Chelsea <laughs> fans honestly came into. A lot of Chelsea fans came into this game honestly with like decent. Like I don't think they were expecting to win the tie, but I think they were expecting to to stay competitive in the first leg, and uh, yeah, ch- like at least like challenge and like you you were about to say this was anything but challenging. I think Wolves would have given given Bayern Munich a, a better chance in this game. Yeah, for sure, and then like. I mean, it was like from minute one, like within the first two, three minutes, like Muller had a good opportunity to open the scoring and he just kind of, you know, he's put it on target, but it wasn't anything, you know, dangerous. But you could just sense that, you know, Byron's midfielders, they were ready. Um, Kimmich was calm. Thiago, not many more things Thiago I can say about him. Oh my goodness. At like another, you know, solid nine out of 10 performance, nine and a half. The guy was just everywhere, picking up passes. Um, Muller was doing like this Muller resurgence. He was out everywhere in the number ten position, finding little pockets of space. Um, Lewandowski, that's how number nine plays. That was a complete yeah. number nine performance. Um, holding the ball up, linking up, creating, scoring. You know, probably like the second best number nine of our like time after Suarez. But I think the I think the, another person like that really didn't see a lot of plaudits is Davies. Um, yeah, my Canadian he, brother Alfonso. I mean, he is like, he is like one of those like absolute athletic freaks. Like, I don't know how he must be like some six foot two, six foot three guy, and he's yeah. just bombarding down the left, up and down, up and down. His recovery pace, and obviously like the way he set up um, Lewandowski's goal. Like, I don't know this Bayern team. I think has been flying under the radar, but um, I think they're the way their new manager has them set up and has them playing. Like even today, they won six nil. Um, yeah. Coutinho. He's got even Coutinho banging, so like this guy must be doing wonders. But I mean, I think Bayern. Um, yeah, we'll throw some caution to the wind, but just because it's Chelsea, it's not like they're played like a fantastic team who are on a great four. But 
that's just like that's how you go out and do business and i think they deserve a lot of credit for that absolutely and uh i think most people know me as someone who doesn't like to, to jump onto hype for youngsters too much i'm very wary of using na- words like generational words like world-class potential uh so i am very like hesitant to jump on alfonso davies like too quick like of course he's a great player and a great young player at that but i don't want to like i i saw some people already saying like, oh is he the best left back in the world i think that's a little too early but <laughs> i mean like you were saying it's so hard <laughs> shout out nile uh but I think it's a little too early, but at the same time, like like you said, it's impossible not to look at how athletic this guy is and how like direct he is. I mean, he completely, him and Nabry on the left completely ruined Reese James. I mean, I know a lot of Chelsea yeah. fans are, of course, they're very excited in the prospect that he is, but this was a huge wake. This was a huge like welcome to reality to Reese James. I mean, he's had a very great start to his professional career, but this is probably the first time I've seen him really like torn to shreds. And I mean, I think that's another player, Dabry. We're seeing a real like star emerge uh, from him. Uh, there's not much to be said about him. I mean, every time I, I watch him play in like these big Champions League games, he delivers. Uh, like you were saying, Thiago and Kimmich, fantastic games from both of them. I think David Alaba, just looking at what he, the guy is so adaptable. You can put him in any position and like he'll slot into perfection. Uh, one second, I don't know who's calling me right now. I think it's my mom. Uh, but yeah, just another player that can slot into any position. Uh, and like, like you were oh, saying, who know, bro? Play- Sar scored again. Yo, yeah. Bro, I predicted this. That's crazy. Uh, that's crazy. I saw you. I thought I, I was like, nah, this kid Walkwood. This kid Walkwood. That's crazy. But um, uh, holy. Sh- um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I will say on Chelsea. Yeah, I will say on Chelsea. Then though, Kovacic, you know, pairs up to him, bro. He's carrying. He's carrying ten bombs on that squad. Um, he was. I think even Lampard said at the end of the game that like Kovacic was the only player that showed that you know he belongs to play at any of these top teams, and he's been he's been fantastic this year. And I think even really, the way the mid- real bounce back season. For him, yep. Yeah. Uh, but um, like what I was saying on Bayern, uh, I wanted to say on Bayern just real quick. Like you were saying, they were flying under the radar, and I think they absolutely have because they haven't been so dominant in the Bundesliga as they usually have. But I don't like. The more I thought about it, it's not really down on them not being as dominant. I think it just shows how strong the Bundesliga teams in the Bundesliga really are becoming. Like, we saw Borussia Dortmund go head-to-head, like we said, against PSG. Leipzig completely outclassed uh, the likes of uh, Tottenham the other day. And Bayern, again, just dismantling Chelsea. So I think it really shows that the Bundesliga, the depth and numbers at the top are really beginning to increase. Martin Gladbeck, as well, and their Marco Rose have been, have been apparently very good. I mean, that tax is heavy in, in Germany, but it might be heavier in England, bro. <laughs> it might be heavier in the Premier League, man. <laughs> I've been but saying, uh, bro, as we go on to the last game, yeah. I've been saying, dude, the Premier League ain't a top five league anymore. I'm taking that to the grave until I see anything different. I was Liga watching Nos. Liga Nos. You were watching Liga Nos, bro. I mean, they got some ballers down there. Yeah, we'll talk about some Liga Nos ballers in a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yes... Sticking to the Champions League, the last big game that we really want to talk about, I think I think it's the last one, is Manchester City versus Real Madrid. Yeah. This was this was like a game. Like I've been wanting to see City play Real Madrid for a long time. Like ever since Pep came to Manchester City, like I wanted to see that tie. Like I wanted to see how he would like fare with the City team. But, I mean, that was just like a matchup that I just like thought would be a good matchup to have. And I mean I didn't get to watch the game live. I was in class, but I peeped some stuff after the game and like did some digging around and you know Pep he didn't overthink this one as much you know as like I think people are making it out to be like they went to the Bernabeu and like even as much as we've said that Real Madrid are very toothless this year he still played a pretty, mm-hmm. like they're still a threat um at home and you know given how City can you know just switch off like even the goal for even Isco's goal just Otamendi and Rodri just kind of like putting each other in terrible positions and that's how you know City got uh, Real Madrid got the goal. But I think you saw like the tactical nuance that Pep has, and how he was able to kind of put Jesus on the left. You know, have Bernardo and KDB essentially playing as false nines, both of them, and yep. how like he was able to put them on the counter and stuff like that. And you saw how he was able to adapt, put Sterling on, and then move Jesus more centrally. And you know, I thought that was a pretty like it seemed like Pep had a pretty good game plan, stuck to it. Him and him and Zidane, like, it was a good tactical battle on how they would set up. And I think it was, I think City should be pretty happy the way it turned out at the end, especially the capitulation that Real Madrid endured. Absolutely. Uh, before we, like, I get too much into it, I just want to bring up uh, 
Like, I think there's a really good video that you guys should all watch, uh, Footy Visionaries, a uh, video that he kind of goes into depth on Pep Guardiola's tactics. I think he got it spot on, so I would definitely check out his video. But um, mm -hmm. just to kind of add on to what you were saying, like, I think it is pretty... It, it was obviously a masterclass from Pep Guardiola. Like, this is really one of his best performances in Europe, especially away. And I think it's pretty damning that, like, a lot of people were saying at ha or once Real Madrid conceded the goal, or scored the goal, sorry... Uh, uh, it's another failure from Pep. Like, he's overthinking it. He's the monkey man yeah. in Europe. And, like, that's the thing. Like, if they had lost this game, everyone would be slating Pep. But they won it, and now he's some sort of tactical genius. Like, I think that kind of, in my opinion, like, that's that's sort of football reactions these days. Like, I think people are too quick to jump onto something. But like you were saying, it was so interesting seeing Gabriel Jesus playing on the left, and he gave them so much energy and, like, burst down that side. Uh, yeah. The likes of Kevin... Bruin and Bernardo Silva. I think Silva was a little like uh, I think it wasn't the best role for him, uh, but he did he did decently. And I think the Bruin playing in like that number ten position, like that false nine position, he had a, yeah. a decent first half. Second half, I think he really took the game by the scrap of the neck. And like I think that's that really showed like a, a really really top number ten uh, performance. You had Mares on the right going at Ferland Mendy every single time. Unlucky not to be rewarded for a goal there, yeah. and. Yeah, I think a I, I know, for example, I predicted a Manchester City win and you, you and I both did. And a lot of people called me crazy. Like, you know how they call me waffling American. But I think people, <laughs> hey, really, got, wrong, bro. <laughs> people really got caught up in the fact that Madrid were in a good, uh, good form and Man City were really struggling. But I think it's important to remember that, man, this Madrid team is not near their peak. I think there, there are too, too many senior players that need to be binned and too many young players that are it's too early in, in their development. And people aren't realizing that peak Manchester City is a better football team than peak Real Madrid. Like, Manchester City's best performance is better than Real Madrid's best performance. It simply is, because Manchester City does not have that creator, that magician in the final third that can create something out of nothing. Whether it has been Ronaldo in the past scoring a goal out of nothing, or Eden Hazard, as whatever anyone wants to say about him, he's still a guy who can pick up the ball, go through three players, and create a chance. They don't have that. Isco isn't the same player anymore. Vinicius isn't that that kind of player. Benzema's, for me, not not that guy anymore. I just never saw Real Madrid winning this tie, and I know they're still in it somehow in the second leg. But I think it would really take a, a, a capitulation for Manchester City of the highest extremes for for Real Madrid to come to this game. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say like. This game also, I think I'll give a shout out to Zidane also, because even though he was, you know, pretty, um, you know, uh, underarmed in terms of, you know, Hazard being out, that's a big blow for them, even though he's had kind of a terrible season. I think mm -hmm. Zidane still set his team up very well. And I think this season throughout, he's done very well to kind of have them Absolutely. in a position to be where they are. Um, Absolutely. You know, he's like that Fergie disciple, you know, he's like, he can kind of adapt the way he plays and stuff. So I think like, you know, I've been very critical of him in the past, but kudos to him the way he set up I think he's, and even, he is really improving as a tactician like i mean like the, yeah. the way real madrid have been like so robust defensively this year like this is a, a team where the two of the two center backs are ramos and Veron, and they have one of the best defensive records in all of europe like he has definitely yeah. made them a strong organized unit but again they don't have that magician in the final third they miss a zidane for example yeah and i think also on the other end um I think KDB showed why he's the best number 10. You know, I've always been critical of him as a midfielder. But when he mm -hmm. plays more of a forward-oriented player like that, you know, like we know how like, the classical 10 is dead, basically. But yeah. when he's kind of in more advanced areas rather than like he's yeah, operating more in the final phase of the game and not in the second phase, you see how like how much of a quality player he is. Like Jesus' first chance. Yeah, yeah Jesus' chance in the first half, you know, that was coming off a of KDB pass. He kind of set up that goal for Jesus out of nothing also. The way he kind of just like twirled around and things. He, I think, he like, really definitely... is a chance-creating machine, man. Like the, the yeah. amount of chances he creates per game is sensational. I mean, definitely like having a player like that, like he is that game changer that Real Madrid would kind of create for. And I think as long as Pep can like continue to put him in those positions, they'll still find some sort of way to get two or three good goal scoring chances a game. So... You know, kudos to him, but he's standing in midfield dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that pretty much sums up the Champions League. Um, we can really talk. We can briefly talk about the Europa League. Uh, I think, like, like for the most part, I think most people expected what we got, except for one game in particular. We'll get into that. But United, pretty convinced, like, extremely convincing result against Club Bruges. They were down to ten men, and we just 
completely destroyed them. Bruno Fernandez, I mean, he keeps showing his class game in, game out. And all you people who were in my mentions talking about he's just a long shot merchant. You don't know ball, man. You don't know ball. But like he hasn't really taken those like long range shots yet. I'm kind of surprised. Not at all. No. But yeah, I mean, we can kind of pivot into like staying on Real Madrid and also the Champions League and whatnot. Uh, tomorrow's the Clasico. And, oh yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and this is probably one of the more exciting, at least the most exciting Clasico in a while. I think for me, just given how how the league table is stood right now, like I feel if Barcelona can get this win. It's going to be pretty much the catalyst for them to spring off, and like they're not going to catch Messi at that point. But kind of sticking with Barcelona and Champions League, also like their game against Napoli. I mean, I don't want to go into it too much, but uh, I was kind of disappointed in the way that Setien set his team up um, in the past couple of games that you know I've watched and you know Setien's been managing. He's been kind of going back to that four-three-three, and even though Barca are pretty light in their attacking options. Just having someone like Ansu Fati, like no matter like if his quality isn't good enough at this point, it's still so major for them. Like having a player that just stretches the field. Like every successful Barca team that has been able to go deep has always had that ability to just stretch it. And as Messi goes older, you know, the like the onus on him needs to lessen. And I think Griezmann also like can help in that. Ansu's left, Griezmann's on the right, Messi's centrally, and Griezmann and Messi can interchange. And like their, their combination play was getting a lot better as the weeks went on. So I was kind of disappointed to see Setien um, go away from that first leg. But, you know, ha- being its first Champions League game for him, I can kind of see the rationale for being a little bit more pragmatic and staying kind of defensive. But, you know, Griezmann, a lot of, a lot of slander from uh, certain people on here. I won't mention names. But, uh, <laughs> hey, he did what Suarez hasn't done for many years now, and that's bag. So, Of course, yeah. So, I mean, even, you know, Griezmann's critics can't really say too much. Fantastic player, gets his goal, and he sets them up pretty nicely to go into their next leg. But also for this weekend, I think at the Bernabeu, I think if Setien comes out with his 4-3-3 like I want him to, um, like also Artur has been playing very well. So I expect Barcelona to be able to get it done. You know, it's Messi versus Vinicius. Like... Benzema, like if that's the, if that's what it is again, then yeah, it's long for Madrid. I think I th- I'm, I'm expecting an emphatic Barcelona victory. Maybe not on the scoreline, but I think by the end of the game, like we'll all say, yeah, Barcelona were definitely the better team. That's uh, it, interesting that you say that. Uh, I'm someone a lot of people know. Like off my last video on Manchester uh, City alone, people were saying like. I like to like look at how past results and like emotions affect the game, and like I'm really looking at Real Madrid. Like that was a really like startling loss. I, I mean, again, I predicted Man City to to win, but I think Real Madrid kind of went into that game like pretty confident that they would be the victors, and like the way they lost with the Ramos red card, like getting hit on the break a few times. Like I really wonder like how that will affect their psyche, uh, how they come into this game. Clasico, of course, the likes of Ramos, like they're always pumped up, Casemiro. Um, in terms of footballing uh, styles, like you, I think you pretty much summed it up. Um, I think you need to have Ansu Fati on the left. Like you need to have that natural whip. I didn't like how pragmatic uh, Setien went against Napoli at all. Uh, it ended up getting them a decent result away from home. But like you said, I think Barcelona needs to have those wingers, especially as Jordi Alba ages and Semedo is not really it. Like they need to get their whip from somewhere. Um, I do predict the draw for this game, to be honest. Like, I don't have as much La Liga analysis as you do. I don't watch that league as much, but I don't know, man. I, I Just from what I know about Real Madrid and the little I've seen of them, like, I know they're a strong defensive unit, and I think it would really take, like, a, a, a huge messy performance to, to beat them, to beat them. I, I, I'd probably predict a 1-1. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, going for a, I'm going for an emphatic 2-0. You know, a 3-0, 4-0 would be nice. Add it to the collection, as the many before, but... I'm just, you I'm think two 0 I think. You can keep a clean sheet. What do you say? You think this Barcelona backline can keep a clean sheet? Uh, yeah. I mean, Pique's been playing well again. Um, I think it's just it just comes down to again that I just don't think Real Madrid have the the necessary tools to get it done. Yeah. Um, like, you know, if Hazard was on the team, maybe they can nick a goal, but I just I just don't see it with this Real Madrid team to be able to get a goal. I just think. This Barca team, I mean, there's still, like, a mistake in them. Like, you know, that Napoli goal kind of came from a furpo slip. But 
I'm, I'm, I don't think Real Madrid will be able to kind of really carve out Barcelona um, in any Yo, shape or form. Watford, what? Watford, nil, bro. Nah, nah, it's over, mate. It's <laughs> over. Troy Deeney. Oh my goodness, bro! This is crazy. This is fucking. Damn, you might, you about to tweet that head of the curve thing, <laughs> bro. That's mad. I'm I'm tweeting that right now. That's crazy. Anyways, like I was saying, that's some big talk for me. Look, like, I do hope Barcelona gets it done. I I I I can't stand Madrid, but damn. Um, like I was, I think that's all we really have to send the Clasico. But like I was saying uh, earlier, let's kind of delve into some Europa League. And I was saying most of the results were pretty straightforward. Like the favorites got mm-hmm. through. Except for one game, the team that the gift that keeps on giving, Arsenal Football Club, uh, <laughs> pretty ra- pretty much wrapped up after the first leg. Man, I mean, they, they were up one nil. Great result away from home against the, an Olympiacos team that's barely lost at home at all this year. And they go to the Emirates. They've been unbeaten all uh, all calendar year, and just capitulation that only Arsenal are capable of. Man, yeah, it was funny because like you know we were cruise whatever like that, our game wasn't any time in doubt. And, like, I took a little bit of a nap, right? Like, I, Arsenal were already down 1-0 at that point. But I took a nap. And I woke up at, like, 4.30 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I get I get a notification, like, second half of extra time starts. I'm like, yo, are these guys still playing? <laughs> like, this game is still <laughs> happening? And then as soon as yeah. I say that in our group chat, Aubameyang scores a sick overhead kick. And I'm like, ah, whatever. Yeah. It's chill. And then I'm walking to class, whatever. And then <laughs> notification, <laughs> Olympiaco score 120th minute. Bro, and <laughs> like this team, this team does not fail to like kill me. And I mean, I think the Arteta's doing a great job. They could have won it at the end, man. The craziest part yeah. is Aubameyang had the easiest chance of his career, and he completely shanked it. If Arsenal don't go to the Champions League, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of like tough to say on him because he's literally carried them for the past few years. Yeah, but yeah, to yeah, further yeah. my Alba agenda, two years in a row, this man has fluffed their chances with the penalty against Spurs, and now this. If they don't get the Champions League, like the dude must be feeling that he's somewhat responsible for it, even though he's been pretty much carrying their load anyways. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um and like it's really worrying now because I think Aubameyang is definitely gone. Um yeah. there is no way I can see him staying in a team that's gonna miss Champions League for the fifth year in a row, and they're also going probably going to miss Europa League the way it's going. But um I know, okay, obviously he's not good, but Lacazette has a clause in his contract that, like, if he doesn't make the Champions League, he's free to go. And it's just a team that already is very top-heavy. Like, their top guns are the ones carrying them throughout the season. And if they lose those guys, Arsenal are in really big trouble because they don't have... Like, I, I've been saying this all year. They don't have the money that Man United has had the last five years to dig themselves out of any hole they get into. Man United, when they miss the Champions League, they spend £200 million. Arsenal don't do that. And... They've always had that Champions League. Oh, we'll make top four and balance the books, and that'll that'll do it for us. Like like it's just uh, average. Like that 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 was every season for them. But since Wenger's left and they've missed the Champions League every year, like the funds become less and less. And I really really worry. Like I, I said in the beginning of the season, no one is big enough to, to 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 completely become obscured. Like you saw the likes of Leeds, you saw the likes of Newcastle. No one is big enough for that. And I'm really starting to wonder now about Arsenal. How far they can fall. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I really think Arteta is doing like a pretty decent job in the way that he has them set up defensively and, you know, he's made them more solidified and the intensity is added to the game. But like, I don't know, there's just some stuff about this team that like, it's just weird. Like, Pepe, like, this man's out here, like, someone someone was like, weekly objective, score with an Ivorian player. And he's just out here, like, trying to like <laughs> dribble through the entire team. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's like Arsenal. It's tough for them. I feel bad for their fans, but at the same time, like I'm, I love it. I love it. Like we, we've been saying that a lot of these games. We've been saying a lot of these games don't slap anymore. Like them losing, but that one slapped. That genuinely, the way they lost. <laughs> I agree, bro. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I'm really worried though for Arsenal fans. Like, I, I I'm, I'm genuinely worried how bad they get. And I'm also happy. Right, like, I can't believe Liverpool's losing three zero, bro. That's crazy. Uh, I think, so yeah, those, that's really all that really happened in the World League. The draw came out. I think the only big one that I saw was Ta favors Inter. And, uh, I think United are probably the favorites right now, to be honest, because I think they're in a good run of form, and I think Inter as well. Um, I think they'll focus more on Syria. But, uh, just to wrap things up, I want to 
I want us just to like uh, touch on some questions that we received from some people. Uh, the first question that someone asked is, is Bruno Fernandez a center midfielder or a 10? Uh, I'm gonna let you start this off because I kind of touched on this in a video I made, but, uh, mm -hmm. I'll let you start it off and I'll give my thoughts on it. Uh, so I don't think he's, so if we're like talking like a classical 10, no shot. He's not that kind of player. And as a CM, I see him more like, I think Ole kind of said this. I see him more as kind of like that high intensity high engine almost a box-to-box -box player but not really like i really see him as like a kdb mold kind of player so like but with a little bit more of a central midfield nuance that like i can see him dropping deep and trying to dictate play but yeah it's kind of it's kind of weird in that sense but i, I would say he's more of like a high engine eight kind of like what he kind of reminds me of like what gerard used to do um that kind of player like kind of runs that right hand side and can like pop up in other places I wouldn't really say he's a 10 like that. And I wouldn't really say he's like like a Gundogan type midfielder that'll just kind of like like uh, pull the strings. Nor would I say he's just kind of like solely a final third player. I think he's like, he's like, he surprised me a lot. I think he's been great at the, he's had a great start, but we've also haven't really played any tough opposition. So I think these next four or five games, we're really going to see what he's made out of. But I think that's where yeah. his position is. I think he's like that. I think he's like kind of like, second phase third phase player that united kind of need and or have needed and like just his like drive and intensity have really made like we, we've been deprived man it's some of the stuff that we got <laughs> i does <laughs> i mean but, i i just love him man every match day now i can look forward to seeing the team sheet and i don't have to see jesse lingard i don't have to see andreas Pereira. i can finally see a proper footballer who gets the ball he turns and he plays it forward like the first game I watched it, brother, were genuine tears like coming out of my eyes, man. It's just a beautiful sight. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm definitely with you, man. Like, um, he isn't the old school ten, like the, the likes of Isco, yeah. Ozil. Like, he's not that not, number ten that like goes between the lines and like receives the ball so close to goal. Uh, he isn't like you said the Gundogan, the Iniesta. Like he isn't that kind of number eight. But um, I think in the modern game, he is more of like he isn't like Saul, and that Saul is like uh. He's very like he can win the ball back like very easily, but like I think the the pressure that Bruno like uh, shows like he he does track back a lot like he wins a lot of balls back like he's one of our our main uh, pressers in my opinion. So in that regard, like I think he is very similar to the modern number eight that uh, you see a lot in like like for example Genie Vinaldum. Like I think he kind of like plays that same role. Like I think that's his best position, but I think right now Ole is kind of playing him in that ten because he's so deprived of like a creator. But I think at the end of the day, like he he can play that number eight, and I think that's where we will see the best of him. Yeah, and I think like when Pogba comes back in the next week or so, next two weeks or so, it's gonna be interesting how they kind of that how that dynamic works. Because you know, realistically, I think the way the midfield three would set up is that it would be Pogba, um, Nick Tom sitting, and then Bruno yeah. on the right. And you know, the way that Pogba and Bruno play, they can either be a complement to each other or they can just be like a mirror to each other where one pushes and one kind of pulls the strings or then if it goes on the right, then, you know, Bruno pushes and Pogba pulls the strings. So I mean, I'm definitely really excited to see that because I think that's the type of player that both will really thrive off of, just having that extra security blanket, an extra player that I can actually, you know, play. So I think... I think if you play a 4-3-3, they're both going to be like those. It kind of reminds me how like City plays. City plays yeah. like 17-18 where they had Fernandinho in the base. And then Silva and KDB would be like, these, like super yeah. high. Yeah, they would just be like super high up number eights that would could like, you know, try to they would just like both press up and press down. So I think that's how it's going to set up. So I think Bruno is like a midfielder. He's more of like that. I would say he's more of like that KDB type midfielder or, you know, quote unquote midfielder. Than he is. I think. Um, I, I think you saying that too, suggesting the lineup. I think that also leads into like the next question that we received, and that is, uh, if Man United were to sign Jack Grealish next summer, which a lot of people are rumoring us to do, uh, mm -hmm. how would that work, if at all? Like, is that a duo in midfield that can realistically work, even if they were to have a, a super strong number six behind them, the likes of Thomas Partey? Uh, I'm a huge Jack Grealish fan. Like, he's really grown on me. Uh, I wasn't as big on him the year before, but. Um, I, I do wonder, like, you see on Villa, like, he is the, the focal point of everything they do. Yeah. On Man United, it obviously wouldn't be the same. Can he succeed when he isn't the big fish in, like, the small pond? Like, would he be a good third midfielder 
for Man United, especially also if Bruno Fernandez is playing as high up as he does? Uh, see, like, I mean, obviously we don't have the evidence on it, so this is all pretty much conjecture, but, yeah. um, yeah. just like, the, like his play style is that like, give me the ball and like, I can drive and make things happen. Like he's a very ball dominant yeah. player, right? Like he need like, and it's not like, like he's a very good creative player, but at the same time, it's more of like, a like I will take players on, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit of Hazard, how he kind of like comes like interior and then, you know, works on the left and stuff. So yep. It's definitely a great problem in terms of having a player that can, you know, drive the ball forward. Um, in Pogba can do that. Uh, I think really, that's like probably I think that's like Grealish's like main attribute, just his silkiness and how he dribbles. So it really for me depends on who they get as their sitting midfielder. Because long term solution, McCommonate definitely not like not only is he not the profile, but he's also not that type of he's not also like good enough to play that going forward yeah. so i think it really depends on the number six that we get but for me like i don't know i think right now i could see it work but it really it just all depends on who the holding midfielder is i think i think i think that's probably correct uh again like as much as i love jack Grealish, i think he's a fantastic player i think the best destination for him would probably be arsenal i think they're kind of missing that kind of player on the left and if some, by some miracle Aubameyang did stay, like it would allow them to play uh, Grealish on the left, Aubameyang down the middle, and Pepe on the right, which would make a really dangerous front three. But on United, like I think the minute they signed Bruno, like again, like I don't think he's a real number ten, but like I think the minute they signed him, it kind of eliminated the, the possibility of like a Madison or a Grealish, even though we continue to get linked with them. I think if Pogba were to leave, I think a good midfield three would be Grealish and like. Okay, you could put Fred in there with a good defense midfielder, or even a guy like Fabian Ru- Fabian Ruiz on Napoli. I think he'd be a good third midfielder, kind of just to be a guy who can like control the game, uh, yeah. great passer of the ball. Like I think he would be a better suited third midfielder for that kind of personnel rather than a Jack Grealish. Yeah, I think we definitely if Pogba were to go, I think like Pogba honestly is like that mold of like that midfielder that United should try to keep because I think him Grealish and a good number six. I mean him. Bruno and a good number six. Yeah, I think probably that's as yeah as probably as balanced as you can get in the middle of the park. So if he were to go, like it's just that kind of like Thiago type player that you know player that can can go forward, but at the same time, like his main attribute is really just controlling the game in the first and second phase. You do wonder though about Jack Grealish. Like I don't think a team like Man City or like a Liverpool would go for him. Like I think Chelsea, like they're pretty set on their position. Like if it is just us or Arsenal, like. He doesn't have like the world of uh, options at his feet, so maybe like we just cop him like on the cheap, forty-five million, and like he's just a really good player that comes in every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely up there, up there for grabs. But for me, I think my preferred choice would be just get a good number six and keep. Yeah, no, him. definitely. Like Grealish for me should not be a priority for Man United. Like I would definitely, for me, like it should definitely be Sancho, Partey, and probably a left left back at the moment. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, a guy like Jack Grealish would be, like, just, like, a luxury kind of signing to have. I mean, you also wonder, like, with Grealish on the left and how Rashford plays also, like... Yeah, absolutely. There you, there's another thing. Like, Rashford is not a real number nine, which a lot of people, like, seem to forget that don't follow United that closely. Like, Rashford does his business yeah. kind of in the same positions that Grealish does, maybe a little higher forward. So, uh, them two together on the same side, uh, I would worry about that. For sure. So, another comparison... Another like kind of a who would you rather question we got was uh, between probably two of the hottest strikers in the game right now, and both of them come from South America. Some real striker heritage right here. Um, <laughs> so we have Inter Milan's Lautaro Martinez and Manchester City's Gabriel Jesus. So I mean we can we can start this off with Jesus because he's been around the scene a little bit longer. Both of us were pretty yeah. I would say critical of him when he first burst on the scene, correct? Very very critical. So, I mean, we both kind of called him, like, a poaching bomb, whatever. But I think, like, as he kind of got more settled in <laughs> into his role. I mean, the guy literally scored, like, three headers or something in <laughs> opening a couple of games. <laughs> Did nothing else. But, uh, you know, you still remember kind of... how much I hated on Gabriel Jesus, bro. When Rashford and him were, like, the, it was the competition between those two. I used to have the hardest agenda on Gabby J ever, bro. Continue, though. Yeah. But I think, like... <laughs> You know, Byron was also on the show. Like, me and Byron started, like, watching a little bit more. I was like, yo, this guy low-key got mad tech. 
And then, like, it wasn't really low-key. Like, he is probably one of the most skilled strikers in the game. And it's just pretty much due to, like, Aguero's stature and his continued output that you don't see Jesus starting more. But I think Jesus probably, like, that, that performance of the Bernabe was good. And I think you'll see Pep rely on him more going forward. But on the other hand, Lautaro Martinez um, kind of moved to Inter last year. Some people who were a little bit familiar with him, you know, were excited about him. Didn't really burst onto the scene that much. And then at the Copa this summer is when people really saw him. And then this partnership with Lukaku that he's generated now is probably one of the, you know, deadliest strike forces. It's like a very interesting comparison because, or a question, because they have similarities, but they're also different mm-hmm. in regard. So I kind of hear what you think before I kind of talk about it. Uh, let me give my opinion on both of them. So Gabriel Jesus, like Ritwick just said, like I was a pretty big critic of his. Um, I, I thought that he was fairly limited. And I the, the comparisons with Rashford for me like were pretty blasphemous. But like Ritwick said, like the more I watch him, like I don't want to be someone that just sticks onto my agendas. Like if I see something that I like and I, like I think things are improving, like I'm going to say it. And um, yeah, Gabriel Jesus has improved every single year at Manchester City, not just like in the goals he scores, but like I think his overall game. Rick brought up his skill. I think he's a, he's obviously a very skilled player, but like for me, the the thing I see about him is his tenacity, man. Like he is so direct. Like he's always like fighting for every single ball. Like uh, of course, his positioning has always been great, but um, in that regard, like I think he's improved exponentially. So I think. He is, he's a top-class, a top, top young prospect. And with Latara Martinez, he's really someone who's burst onto the scene this year. Um, in the past, like, we, we did know about him. Like, he had a few cameos for Argentina over the Copa. But, like, this is really, like, he's lit up the stage with Lukaku, like uh, we just said at Inter. Uh, he's one of, the, one of, if not the best player on a title-winning, a title-challenging team in Italy. And, like, that's another guy, like, you talk about tenacity. Like, he's tenacious, man. Like, he's got that yeah. South American bite to him. Yeah. Um, Again, like a great uh, link-up player with like he's like he like he doesn't like Griezmann like in terms of like, his overall game, but the way like he kind of plays behind a bigger striker in front of him and like finds ways of linking up with him, like I think it reminds me a lot of the next Griezmann and Dybala. If you were to ask me who I would rather have between those two, it's tough because I don't think they play the same role. Like I think Jesus is like a, an out-and-out number nine, even though he did do a pretty good job on the left this this uh, last game against Real Madrid. I do wonder if Guardiola would persist with him once Aguero goes to Argentina. Like, I think he will aim to get a, a, a more prolific number nine in that position and use Jesus more sparingly in, like, uh, different positions or different roles. And Lautaro Martinez, I think, is destined to play for Barcelona next year. Like, I think if if you're to book one signing for next year, I think he's pretty high up there as, like, a hundred million pound buy for, for Barcelona. I would probably pick Lautaro Martinez, but credit to Jesus, he's made it a lot closer than it probably would have been six months ago. You think uh, you think Latoura Martinez to City could be a possibility? Like, if you think, do you think uh, Pep might decide? You know, Latoura is the kind of striker that I want on my team. I think Latoura would make an amazing Pep signing. Like, he would be in a, like a, a good comparison. Actually, like, no, he no reminds me City, a lot. Bro. Never mind. No one's going to City with this band. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right there. But like, just like hypothetically, like. Yeah. Uh, a good comparison. Like honestly, I do see little flashes of like the younger Aguero in Latar Martinez. I think like he would make a really good replacement for Aguero in that position. But like I said, like, like you said, first of all, City are not going to be making any massive signings. Like they will be making more low key under the under the uh, <laughs> under the carpet signings to stay out of trouble there. And uh, I think he's destined for Barcelona. Like every South American player's dream is to play for Barca or Real, mostly Barca these days. But uh, yeah, I think that one's pretty banged on. Uh, so you you go Latoro Latoro so, La so I'll, I'll think like I think it kind of depends on the setup really like who would you rather have I think Latoro I think Aguero is more I mean Aguero uh, Jesus is more you know a little bit more skillful and how like he kind of is more willing to you know, be able to run in behind kind of his like uh, care, ball carrying abilities a little bit better whereas he is like he is also a physical presence but like Latoro is just a bigger physical presence out there. And, like, I would say also for Barcelona, I think Gabriel Jesus fits that mold for Barcelona better than uh, Lautaro does. I think Jesus yeah. is actually a very underrated striker at this point. I think Lautaro, I just don't really see him kind of blossoming at Barca the same way that a lot of people do. I don't think that's, like, a slight, but I think just, like, the way Barcelona play, I think Jesus and his ability to get in behind, 
the way he can his pace I think is just a bigger um, benefit to Barcelona more than Latoro. Whereas like for a team like Man United, I would say Latoro Martinez would be a perfect striker. I think just his Absolutely. physical ability, like getting into the box, tabs and stuff. I think it just really depends on their setup. I think if you're trying to play a little bit more, like a more have a more physical presence, have a more dominating figure up front. I think like some like a team that Chelsea like Chelsea and you know United want. I think that's a, like Latoro would make more sense. But then for your Barca's and cities that have a more intricate type of play, that are more you know get in behind and stuff. I think you definitely would see a player like Jesus blossoming more. And I think I think Latoro. It's a tough thing because I think both of them are amazing strikers, but I think I would personally um, pick Lautaro just because of his physical ability. But it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, if you gave Jesus a serious run of games, he would become like a clinical, clinical striker. Because I think that's his biggest knock, right? That even though he bags, he also does miss his fair share of chances. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm. I think like I think you've said it all pretty spot on. Like I think, like I said, Lautaro was bang on to join Barca, but I'm with you. I don't think it is this. I don't think it really makes too much sense. I think it's like we've seen it in the past a lot. Barcelona just buys a player because like they they can. <laughs> that that, that yeah. really is just as simple as that. I think it would be even better. Like I was saying earlier, Lautaro to to City, and like you were saying, Jesus to Barca. I think that would really do both of them the world of good. I think those are perfect environments for both of them. But alas, I'm sure Jesus will probably stay at City. Lautaro again, he's set for Barca. Uh, I mean, is that right, weird? I think, I think even Real Madrid, Lautaro would be a good signing for them. You know, that Benzema replacement, Jovic hasn't done anything. I think, you know, that yeah. kind of player would, I think, thrive at Real Madrid as well. I think so too. Absolutely. Uh, but like, like I was saying, is there anything really else we, we want to touch on or have we spoken uh, about most of it? I think we spoke about most of it. Um, this Liverpool yeah. L hitting hitting different right now. It's, Yo, it's I'm finally done. Right now, <laughs> it's finally done, bro. Atletico, it's it's the wheels are off. The wheels are off. They lost three. No, it's over. Earlier, <laughs> man. Let's just let's just hope like this is a sign to come for Liverpool. Uh, the unbeaten run is over. As far as I'm concerned, you're a bang average Premier League winning <laughs> title now. This has nothing special to it anymore. Uh, are you an Arsenal fans? Like you finally have something to, to cheer about this week. Enjoy your un- invincible run that no one really cares about anymore. Uh, yeah, we'll, maybe we'll see you next week. We'll see you the next time we do this. It has been a while, but it's good to get back on the mic, spit some facts, waffle. Um. Before we, we sign off, definitely follow us on the socials. Follow us on our uh, main Twitter account, Lotta Midpod. Follow Ritwick and I on our main Twitters. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We are banging them out there. I think we have like 80 subs at this point. Um, yeah, but uh, with that with that being said, I think that's all we really have to say. Like I said earlier, it's good to be back. And uh, this has been another episode of Whole Lotta Mid. We'll see you when we see you.